find something that you're really passionate about that matters to you. In my case, it was water because I grew up Mm -hmm. in an area that was water scarce. And there are so many interesting topics in the, both in the water realm and the Middle East realm. But for me, this idea of, you know, how can water be used to, to bridge divides was something that was really, really fascinating. So advice I would give is, you know, look around you, think about what has impacted your life. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Declarations. My name is Munagasim, and I am your host. Today, we have a very special episode. It's actually our last episode of this season, and the season's theme was in the firing line. So today we have with us Kathleen Schwinn. Kathleen is actually a friend of mine, so this is also a very special episode, and we hope that this will be a very insightful conversation. Kathleen is actually a 2015 Coca-Cola scholar. She holds a bachelor's and master's from MIT and an MPhil from the University of Cambridge in international relations and politics. Her primary research focuses on water security in the Middle East and North Africa and the role of fresh water in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. She has worked and conducted research in 12 countries on five continents and visited, partnered with many more on issues related to water security, entrepreneurship and development, and the intersection between urban planning and technology. She's the founder of the Gate Olympics, the Central Coast and MIT Science Bowls, has worked for the U.S. Departments of Energy, State and Defense, and has partnered with a variety of academic institutions, special interest groups, NGOs, industries and local governments. You can often find Kathleen traveling, cooking, spending time with family or enjoying the outdoors while camping, sailing and hiking. She will also be starting her MBA at Stanford in the fall of 2021. Very impressive. Kathleen, thank you so much for joining us today. Mona, thank you so much. This is so exciting. Very exciting. So today we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, your research, the research that you did at MIT, as well as the research that you did here at Cambridge. And then we'll sort of move on and discuss, you know, you being a Coca-Cola scholar, as well as your new book, which I'm sure a lot of our listeners would love to hear about. And really, you know, I think this episode will be great for our listeners to sort of learn more about, you know, what it takes to be um, a successful researcher and and how to find your passion, especially when it comes to researching topics that are related to human rights issues across the globe. So Kathleen, um, to just kind of give our listeners an overview about who you are, what you do, I know I've just introduced you, but can you talk a little bit about why you decided to research water and water security issues um, and how that started Absolutely. Well, thank you again for having me on. I love the work that you do, that CGHR does. This is really an honor. Water goes back a long time with me. I'm originally from California, where water was very scarce. I grew up going to the city hall meetings, listening to the farmers and the residents uh, and the government officials fighting over who owned that water. And you know, being really young, middle school, high school age, I thought it was just a local issue, but I was fascinated by the fact that everyone seemed to have a super strong argument and everyone had legitimate reasons for wanting to use that water, which was a limited resource. And that always stuck in my mind as something that was fascinating. When I went to MIT, I realized that the world was so much bigger than I could have ever imagined and that water played a role in some of the biggest and most intractable conflicts on the planet. 
And one of those areas was the Middle East and specifically uh, within the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. So since water is something I was already passionate about, the region is a place I find fascinating. I've had the chance to teach there um, and live there for a bit. I knew right away, this is something that I want to focus on, especially because water is only becoming more important and becoming more scarce at the same time. So that was my research topic, something I was passionate about. I didn't know a ton about the role of water in the Middle East at that point, but dove in headfirst and have found that it's you know, a more complicated topic than I ever thought, but so interesting and there are amazing people working on it. Um, and what's really interesting about that is like you mentioned you growing up in California and water being such an important issue. And when people usually think about water as a scarce resource, we often think about you know, less developed countries. And that's often, you know, the stereotypical, you know, conflicts going on, you know, water scarcity in Africa. And what's interesting about what you've just said is that it's an, it's a global issue and it impacts politics at all levels in different, different nations, right? Um, so can we sort of delve into that? What is the interplay? Can you sort of delve into the specifics of your research? So what is the interplay between water scarcity, politics, conflict, peace building? Great question. So uh, at MIT, what I focus on is I focus on something called the Joint Water Committee that was set up between Israel and Palestine and the Oslo Two Accords. It was meant to just be a, a temporary body that had Israeli and Palestinian representatives, and they recognized that water was such a huge issue, especially in the very arid Middle East region. Again, this committee was only supposed to be temporary. It ended up not being temporary. Water was pushed off as a final status issue, and as we know, we haven't quite resolved all those issues yet, and therefore the water issue hasn't been resolved. Um, and be, in light of that, I thought, well, there's no research being done on how to restructure that committee, because if we're not, you know, too much closer to a final agreement and putting water on you know, the list of things that have been checked off and solved, I thought, well, maybe we can restructure this committee. And there had been a lot of talk about why the committee didn't work, but no possible research on how it could work. And so my research really delved into to how do we restructure this? At the time when I wrote this, the committee wasn't meeting. Um, there are some rumors that the committee is meeting now. But my thesis looked at how to restructure it. So, you know, take it from a, a money allocating entity and a very political committee to something that was focused more on problem solving and joint fact finding. So focusing on things like transparent data collection, um, looking at how to put in um, problem solving structures in place so when there is a conflict, you know, how do you actually mediate that within the, the committee itself? You know, how do you focus or shift the focus from national security to water security? Uh, water is a very political issue, whether we like it or not. And it really is ingrained in the national security of countries, especially in the Middle East. So, but at the same time, while we think, oh, I, we want to hog all the water for ourselves, because therefore we'll be more secure as a country, a country that has a shared water source with another country or territory can actually never be water secure unless they partner with that other country or mm -hmm. territory. So by shifting the focus of it from politics to how can we both win here, that's, that was a core part of my research. Um, and also something that you know, ties into the whole peace building initiatives and you know, hoping to find a way to, to bridge peace and you know, have a first stepping stone towards peace water, I figured could be a way to start building that trust. 100%. And you know, speaking about like climate change, climate, the environment as one of the biggest issues that we're facing nowadays and obviously impacting water supplies all across the world, could you talk a little bit about how climate change has impacted or has played a role in your research or factored into it? 
Great question. I, it's played a central part. And that's one of the reasons why I was so interested in this topic in the first place is because it's something that's not going away anytime soon. Uh, folks in the water security world joke that they have they have job security because as climate change gets worse, um, you know, the water situation, all the other environmental factors are only becoming exacerbated over time. And so it really becomes important to focus on these issues, both for the immediate term where you know, someone in the Gaza Strip needs a, a bottle of water in their hand tomorrow, but also in or today. And it's also in the long term. What does this look like 20, 30 years down the road, 40, 50 years down the road as population rises, as water becomes more scarce, as we need more food, um, as there's more people producing more waste and how do we treat that water? A wastewater and the freshwater issue are linked completely. And so climate change and realizing that it's a dynamic thing. It's not a problem that's static. It's something that's changing all the time. So the data we might have today or tomorrow might not be relevant in six months, a year, two years. And the best way to collect that data is through cooperating with the neighbors that you share that water source with. And again, it just points towards the importance of water and the importance of partnership uh, when it comes to looking at freshwater allocation and making sure that the most vulnerable populations um, aren't continually um, disproportionately affected by the climate change uh, situation and water scarcity that comes with it. Have you noticed in your research any sort of positive or negative trend? Do you think things are getting better? Do you think, you know, countries are working together? I know you focused on Israel and Palestine. Um, and, you know, that is a very topical conversation right now as well. Um, but do you think that water security is getting better? Do you think that nations are starting to work together? What, where do you see this going? I definitely think that the renewed focus on the climate change situation has brought more of a focus on the importance of water and the increasing water scarcity. Mm -hmm. I also think that the recent pandemic shed a light on the importance of water and fresh water. Uh, we were told to wash your hands, wash your hands, but people were wondering, well, if you don't actually have clean water to wash your hands with, right. how does that work? And so I think that the intense focus on the pandemic in the last almost two years now um, has has renewed that focus in fresh water. Uh, you asked no specific areas of you know excitement for where collaboration is happening. I'd have to say, look at the local level. Uh, even in mm. my research between Israel and Palestine, there are mm -hmm. small organizations, small think tanks, small NGOs, even just local communities who have realized that hey, the political situation isn't changing, but we need fresh water. And I think if I collaborate with my neighbor across the border, we could do something about it. So I've had the chance to talk with entrepreneurs who are starting startups, getting around all the red tape when it comes to starting a joint Israeli-Palestinian startup. But they're so focused and so passionate about fixing the water issue for both themselves and their neighbors that that's where change is happening. Um, it's kind of like we don't care what's happening. We know that, you know, we're not supposed to like each other, but you know, we think that we can solve this together. You have the resources, you know, I have the skills, let's do this. So that has been a really encouraging thing to look at within the water world, both in the Middle East and around the world through my research, I've seen that. In California as well, seeing the different organizations pop up, seeing the community members really passionate about water and looking beyond themselves like, hmm, well, if I partner with my neighbor, I can be better off, but also they'll be better off too. So let's do this thing. So that has been something that's been very encouraging. That's a that's a really good shout. I think, you know, this season we've looked at a lot of people, you know, 
impacting human rights issues in different areas with different levels of expertise from entrepreneurs to academics to students. Um, and I think that's a really good piece of advice. So looking at the local level, look at entrepreneurs, don't just look at, you know, politicians at the political level, but look, look at your community, look at your neighbors, look at, you know, your friends and see what they're doing. So that's really good, a really good shout. Speaking about, you know, looking at your friends, you are actually um, a Coca-Cola scholar. Um, could you tell us a little bit about Coca-Cola scholars? Could you tell us about what it is? Um, what that means to you. Um, and then we're going to talk a little bit about your book. So Ignite Your Story. Absolutely. So the Coca-Cola Scholars Foundation uh, every year chooses 150 high school seniors based in the U.S. who have made change in their community. They call them game changers. Basically looking for those who you know, have seen a problem and gone out and solved it with whatever resources they had. Looking for people who have overcome challenges uh, and not only you know, overcome them, but be able to help other people along the way. And so the Coca-Cola Scholarship, again, chooses 150 new scholars every year and brings them into this amazing network of Coca-Cola scholars who are then connected and can help each other with projects. Uh, and what we all share is this, this vision for a better world. And we're very dedicated to uh, how can we use our skills and the talents that we have to be able to, to help usher in that even better future. Amazing. So you as a high school senior, what was your sort of project um, that you did that went out and changed the world? Well, that is a great question. I think also what we all share is we're all, you know, every scholar I think that gets the scholarship is somewhat shocked that we get it. It's like, oh my gosh, they chose me. I, <laughs> um, I think for me, something that I was really passionate about was you know, extending opportunities to people who didn't have them before. Uh, in my community, I grew up in a very small agricultural town. Uh, you know, you everyone knew everyone. Chickens were crossing the road. You'd be late to school because someone's sheep got out of the corral. Wow. <laughs> in the middle of the freeway. So I realized growing up as an athlete, as someone who loved trying new things, there are lots of opportunities for athletes, but not so many for the folks who either had disabilities and couldn't uh, participate in sports or those who just weren't gifted with you know, the athletic talent. And I realized that they didn't have anything that celebrated them. There was no, mm. there were very few opportunities. There was mock trial and the writing competitions, which were fantastic, but that was it. Uh, and in my mm. own family, my sister has some physical disabilities, but she is the smartest person I know. And there were really no opportunities for her to shine and for the community yeah. to celebrate her. And so seeing that, uh, that's when I kind of kicked into gear and thought, how can I solve that? And so I created uh, a competition called the Gates Olympics, the Gifted and Talented Education Olympics, uh, which was a problem-solving competition. So there were giant life-size mazes and puzzles. Uh, wow. Kids got to form teams of four to five students. And it was basically how many challenges can you solve in the amount of time that we give you. Uh, it was fast-paced. It was hands-on. No prior knowledge was needed. So third graders were competing against fifth or sixth graders. Oh, wow. um, we, had, we translated the entire event into Spanish to, to cater to the English language learners in the community and really trying to redefine what SMART was, too, was another big thing. So traditionally, it was, you know, paper, pencil, test, how, whatever score you get, that's defined as SMART. But what we found out was that the folks who were deemed not gifted or not SMART actually turned out to be the best problem solvers and the best people when it came to working with teams. Um, and then continued that vision bringing the Department of Energy's Science Bowl to the Central Coast of California. 
And again, just continuing that vision for creating opportunities for others and filling this space where there, there weren't opportunities for, for these kids to, to excel. So that was kind of my passion that I think uh, played a part in getting the Coca-Cola scholarship. Wow, that's amazing. And you did all of that while in high school. So while studying, while trying to get into college, that, that, is, that is very, very impressive. Um, Thank you. Yeah, I started when I was in third or fourth grade. So young, you know, to think about someone, you were very altruistic. You wanted to give back to the community and help at such a young age. And I think that will be very inspiring to people listening, young students listening. Um, you know, there are there are no limits to the change that you can make in the world. So that's really great. And speaking about, you know, inspiration and inspiring stories, you also have recently launched a book called Ignite Your Story. So why don't we speak a little bit about that? So why why, why this book? Um, what was the reason behind it? And then if you could just tell us a little bit about it. Ignite Your Story tells the captivating stories of 40 leaders and community game changers who have overcome challenges, found their passions, and ultimately accomplished their incredible goals. All 40 of these individuals are Coca-Cola scholars, uh, the idea came up uh, because there's a, a leadership summit that happens every five years. I was lucky mm-hmm. enough to attend in 2018, and I was just so inspired by all of these stories that I was hearing. I mean, every single kind of story you would think of, someone who, was, who raised sugar gliders um, and you know, brought in foster animals, someone who won a Nobel Peace Prize for his you know, international campaign to abolish nuclear weapons. I can't. Wow. Uh, just all these incredible stories, people who traveled the world to help people in need, uh, people who put on different drives to collect food items and clothing, and then that turned into an international organization. Just these incredible stories of people making change in their communities and using what they had. And I remember thinking, I, I need this every day because it was a huge energy boost for me and made me want to work even harder. So it brought on my co-author, onto the project. And that's where we went from there. We took, you know, the 40 stories that we found most inspiring and put them in word form. And we hope that this book is not only something for the the Coca-Cola scholars community, but also for the wider outside world as well. Uh, They're inspiring stories to show that, you know, despite everything going on in the world, which can get kind of depressing at times, to be honest, there are people making incredible change. Some of the people you've heard of before, you know their names. Some people you've never heard of, but they're making great impact inspiring others and really being a spark to ignite change. The book also has tips and tricks from those game changers who have had that success so far, either gone to great schools, uh, started nonprofits, made in the entertainment industry, et cetera, are globe travelers and uh, global citizens. There's tips and tricks from them as well in the book. If you, know, if you want to start a nonprofit, here's what you do. If you're looking to find your passion and turn that into something, here's how you do it. And so for me, it was incredibly inspiring talking with these individuals, getting to hear their stories, getting to hear the transitions and the challenges they had to go through to get there. Because I think that's something we often don't see in the people we admire the most. So it's been an incredible project. I've absolutely loved it. And I'm so proud uh, to have launched the book and, and have it open for orders. Amazing. So that it sounds like a beautiful book, very inspiring. And I think a lot of people will be interested in figuring out you know, how they can make change in their communities and hopefully use the tips and tricks that a lot of the people you feature in the book use. So where can our listeners, you know, find this book? Where can they order it from? www.igniteyourstory.com. 
page, which has the story behind the book, short profiles of all 40 Coca-Cola scholars in the book. And there's also a page where you can order your copy now. Amazing. Okay, so everyone, you heard it here. Go to www.igniteyourstory.com. Um, and you can order this book. Very useful for anyone who's interested in, you know, being a game changer, just like the Coca-Cola scholars featured on that. If you want to check out um, the book on social media, it's on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You can check out the account Ignite Your Story as well. So definitely go give those accounts a follow and please do go on the website and order the book. Kathleen is such an inspiring person and anything she does often becomes a success. And I'm sure this would be a very big success. So please do go and um, get this book. <laughs> um, and yeah, and spe- you know, while you were talking about different types of intelligence, what really struck me was this question about, you know, there's this ongoing debate about education. And obviously, you're someone who's very well educated and has gone to some of the best schools, right? Um, do you think that is a sort of necessity for you know, being a game changer, because a lot of people are, do not, some people do not necessarily believe in our education system or may not have, you know, the opportunity to even go to university. Um, So I just wanted your thoughts on that. That's a great question. I feel very blessed to have had the education that I've had so far, both at MIT and Cambridge, and I'll be starting my MBA at Stanford in the fall. So feel very, very fortunate to have had those. And it's definitely opened a lot of doors and given me tools to be able to, to continue being you know, a spark for positive change, if you will. But I have to say that anyone can make positive change. Um, you don't have to go to a top university. I don't think you even have to go to a university. You could be a middle school student. You could be a high school student. You could be just someone in your community who sees a need. And as long as you have a vision, you find the right team, to be able to help you implement that vision, you can be a game changer, you can make change. Some of the most inspiring people that I've met have been on my various travels abroad through research, working on projects, et cetera. Some of them have had no formal education whatsoever and yet they're making, completely changing their communities for the better. Because again, they find that passion, they know what they wanna do and they're not gonna let anything stop them. Some of them have access to resources and money. Some of them don't, but they're just making things, uh, making things work, making ends meet and helping others as well because they have that drive and they see a need and they want to go fix it. So I definitely think that education can help, uh, but I think that the most important thing is just having that internal drive, the internal spark to make change and then having the courage to be able to go out and actually act upon that and find the right team um, and go ahead and make, make a change in your community. Yeah, I think I I do think that's such an important message because oftentimes we sit here, you know, in Cambridge, in the UK, at some of the best universities talking about human rights issues. And sometimes it's very abstract and and removed from those issues on the ground. And I think it's really important for our listeners to know that you do not have to necessarily be in these institutions or to have positions of privilege or power to actually make change that everyone has the ability to do so, whether that be in your local community or with your friends or, you know, abroad. Um, so I think, I think you're very, you're, you're right in that way. Yes. I do. I, I think it is, it is almost like you don't necessarily need to be at the top schools. It's a blessing if you are, but you know, you can make change in whatever way you seek fit. Yeah. You can make change at any scale too. It doesn't have to be international. It can be local. It can be making an impact on one or two people. It's just you're making that change and that's what's important. 
Very true. Exactly. Um, and that gives us, leaves us to like our concluding sort of message. Um, I wanted to ask you, like, what piece of advice would you give, you know, students listening to us? We have a lot of students in the States, actually, who listen to us as well, um, who are, you know, struggling with sort of finding their passion, their research, or, you know, they want to make a change in the world. They just don't know where to start. There are so many issues that we're bombarded with nowadays. And I think it can be hard for a lot of people to figure out, like, what is their purpose or their goal? So for someone like you who's a successful researcher, what piece of advice would you give to students trying to find their purpose? Find something that you're really passionate about that matters to you. In my case, it was water because I grew up mm-hmm. in an area that was water scarce. And there are so many interesting topics uh, in the, both in the water realm and the Middle East realm. But for me, this idea of, you know, how can water be used to, to bridge divides was something that was really, really fascinating. So advice I would give is, you know, look around you, think about what has impacted your life. Uh, think about the questions you've had. Think about the times when you really sat down and thought, huh, I wonder what could be changed about that topic? Or I wonder if we mm-hmm. did things differently. Think about those moments that really had an impact on you. And more often than not, there is a research topic in there somewhere. Uh, I found out that if you think that there's a topic that's really hot right now, but you're not interested in it, it's probably not going to pan out well because you won't have that passion uh, to reach out to people to learn more, uh, to stick with it when times get tough, to continue it into two master's degrees if you know that's what you we want to do with it. So it's really finding something that means something to you. It can be in an abstract way, it can be in a direct way, but find something that really matters to you and that you want to contribute to. Great. I think that is a very powerful message to conclude this episode on. So to all of our listeners, you heard it here, find something you are actually interested in and make sure you're passionate about that um, and go, go change the world. I think, you know, that's the message we wanted to leave you with for this season. It's to, you know, ask the difficult questions, expand your mind, be a critical thinker and figure out what is your human rights issue that you care about and don't be afraid to go out and just do it. (laughs) Um, Kathleen, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for joining us. Mona, thank you so much. This has been incredible. Thank you. Thank you. And um, for all of our listeners, definitely don't forget to check out. I know I'm repeating this a bunch of times, but attention spans these days. So www.igniteyourstory.com. You can find Kathleen's new book out there. Um, for everyone listening, I just want to thank you all for, you know, staying with us during COVID and listening to our podcast and making this an extremely successful season five um, with our theme in the firing line from the Center of Governance and Human Rights. This was Declarations. My name is Munagasim. A big shout out to our sound editor, Max Parnell, as well as the behind the scenes team who makes all of this happen. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.